Okay. Hi, Lynn. We're using my phone to record instead of... I don't think she's going to like that. Your phone probably has a very low recording quality. Yeah, but it's real. Okay. And so it's going to sound bad, but it's going to be real bad. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's going to sound like we're recording it at the last minute before we move That's out. exactly what's happening. Exactly. <laughs> On the last night of the High Seas mission, I get this recording from Tristan and Carmel. It definitely feels very not real, knowing that we're leaving in less than 11 hours. When I get their message, I'm in a hotel room in Hawaii, not far from the dome. And I can't sleep. I'm too eager and restless. All year, I've had this weird relationship with these people, the High Seas crew. I know their voices so well, I can recognize them from the tiniest giggle or the slightest breath. I know so much about their lives. But I can never shake the feeling that there are things I don't know, things they haven't told me. Last time I was on this island, I watched the crew walk into the dome, shut the door behind them, and start their new lives on fake Mars. And now, exactly 365 days later, I'm here to meet them when they come out and get answers to the questions that have been driving me crazy for the past year. This, one last time, is The Habitat. In the morning, I drive up the volcano. I totally forgot how insane this is here. Like you cross a line at some point and uh, and you're on another planet. The trees disappear, the grass disappears, the road gets rougher and rougher, and then I see it. Yes. The habitat. Over the course of the year, this place started to seem so far away that I almost really believed it was on Mars. The fact that I can just rent a Jeep Wrangler and drive up here feels pretty weird. What's even weirder is, there are so many people here. All year, it's been just the crew. But when I get out of the Jeep and walk up to the dome, there's a crowd. There are photographers with huge cameras, journalists with little notepads, people from mission support, and there are families too. Hi. <laughs> Is this the whole clan? It sounded like there were a ton of people coming for Tristan. We have three generations. This is Tristan's grandma, who's standing next to his dad, his stepmom, and his little brother. It's starting to rain, and they have on bright blue raincoats, and they look like a family at a high school football game, waiting for their son to run onto the field and play his first big game of the season. They even made a sign. What does your sign say? Well, don't open it if the ink will run with the water. You'll see. The sign says... Aloha, Tristan. Welcome back. We love you. You're Ohana. <laughs> and what's Ohana? Family. Hawaiian for family. And I have a picture of Mars on there and the Earth. That's so goddamn sweet. Isn't that sweet? And my husband thought I should not do it. That's not it true. I see someone else I recognize standing quiet near the dome, and I walk over to say hello. Hey. <laughs> This is a weird scene. It is. It's Shay's husband, Ben. This guy has spent so many nights cooking dinner for one, so many mornings brewing coffee for one. And now, almost now, very, very soon, those days will be over. 
now we just stand here and wait. I'm just eager, so. <laughs> yeah, what are you like vibrating right now? Basically. It does. I mean, it did. I mean, especially yes. We're all starting to vibrate a little. I can only imagine what the crew must be feeling inside the dome. All right, Lynn, I'm just leaving the recorder on. So, turns out that while I was recording outside, Tristan was recording inside. He switches the recorder on about 30 minutes before it's time to leave the dome. And in the beginning of this recording, you don't hear a lot of excitement. There's a little bit of shuffling, people going up and down the stairs. And then, pretty soon, Anjay pulls out his guitar. He gets about five notes out before Carmel walks up to him and says, Anjay, do you mind if we not play guitar? Anjay says, Yes, I do mind. Carmel says, I don't really want to listen to you play guitar for the last 20 minutes of us being here. Anjay says, Well, I've had to listen to your music every day for how long? Yes, I have. And then proceeds to play the guitar. No one says a word during this song, or the two songs that follow. These people are so close to never having to see or hear each other ever again. But they can't stop themselves from pissing each other off. It's like as long as they're in this dome, they're under a spell. A spell that makes them do the same things, have the same arguments, pull the same crap over and over again. And then, all of a sudden, the spell breaks. At this point, the crowd outside has moved very close to the habitat. Their voices are starting to bleed through the wall. And suddenly, what's about to happen becomes real. They get to go outside. No spacesuits. Six minutes come down. Six minutes. The crew crowds around the door. Oh, three minutes now. It's three minutes? Three minutes. Oh, All right. And then it's two minutes. And then one. All right, everybody in? Everybody in? Everybody, where, where are we going? In the airline. All right, we're right. minutes time. Out of memory. Yeah. Oh, great. We'll do the countdown, okay? No, not yet. <laughs> not ready yet. Yeah. The camera's out of memory. We're switching cars. <laughs> All right, is it on now? Yes, it is. Okay. So, no. Yes. Now we're ready. I'll do it, man. <laughs> okay. Ten. Okay. Nine. One by one, they step out of the dome. First Anjay, then Shay, then Cyprian, Tristan, Christiana, and Carmel. 
My heart stops for a second when I see them. They look so pale and so skinny. I find Carmel and give her a hug, and she's shaking. I don't know, I'm shivering. <laughs> Why are you shivering? I don't know, I think it's a lot of excitement to be outside and I don't know, I wasn't expecting as many people to be here and I wasn't expecting clouds and wind and uh, just lots of sensory overload maybe is the best term for it. <laughs> I find Christiana, who's drifted away from the group and is walking around the dome. She seems mesmerized by her own feet, just staring down at them. I can actually hear my steps, that is so cool. What do you mean? Why is that cool? Oh, because when you're in a suit, you have this fan blowing in your ear all the time. So you hear the fan blowing, but you don't hear anything else. Like, I, ooh, that's pretty. What does the wind feel like? I don't know, it's just cool. It's everywhere. And also you can hear the wind in your ears. That is really cool. And it's not this annoying wee of the stupid fan. How is it different from what you remembered? Um, it's more intense. Like you, I feel many more details of, like normal, of, like before I came here, I was like, huh, yeah, wind, I can, I mean, obviously I feel it, but like right now I feel it everywhere and like even the tiny little breeze and, <laughs> and all these little rocks. I can see all the tiny little rocks and I can grab them and feel them. You couldn't do this. <laughs> What's this? Just like put your hand on the ground and feel all the rocks and feel how rough they are and feel all the edges. One well, also I can like I have a much wider range of vision because on the suit you sort of just see what's right in front of you and And now? And I can see everything. The crew poses for photos, they give interviews. And then, after a few hours, the crowd thins. The photographers put away their cameras. The journalists write down their last quotes. Cyprian, Christiana, Carmel, Tristan, Anjay, and Shay get into cars and drive away. And as the crew disappears, Mars disappears. The change is pretty striking. For a whole year, this was another planet. The air was poison, the water was precious. It all seemed very real. But all along, it was just those six people who made it real. Their agreement to keep living together in the same imaginary world. And now, without them, the habitat is just an empty tent on an empty volcano. But for me, this thing isn't over just yet. While the crew was in the dome, I couldn't interview them face to face. I sent them questions, sometimes they answered, sometimes they didn't. And if they didn't want to talk about something, there wasn't much I could do. Now, they're back on Earth. So I can show up on their doorsteps, I can call them on the phone, I can ask them questions they can't ignore. Questions about love, questions about hate. And coming up after the break, I do. After the crew leaves the dome, they spend a week in Hawaii getting debriefed by the researchers. And then, they're gone. Carmel heads back to Montana and starts training for an Ironman competition. 
Tristan finishes his PhD in architecture and hands in a dissertation all about the design and construction of space habitats. Anjay moves to Houston because Anjay is training to be in mission control at NASA. It's not exactly the same as being an astronaut, but it's close. Christiana goes traveling all over the world to make up for the time she was stuck in the habitat. Shay goes home to St. Louis and, after a little while, starts work as a doctor in a hospital there. And Cyprian goes home to Paris, where I finally managed to get him on the phone. Cyprian Verso. Yeah, me again. Hi, it's Lynn. It's so good to hear your voice again. I haven't talked to you in such a long time. Turns out, Cyprian has become a little bit of a celebrity. High seas was a bigger deal in France than it was here. When I talk to him, he's sitting next to a poster of himself wearing a spacesuit, looking heroically into the distance. He tells me people sometimes walk up to him in the street and say, Oh, you were the guy on the volcano, right? But that was not the question I had for him. So just be frank with me. You and Cristiano were a couple, yeah? (laughs) You've been trying to know that for two years now. I think I do know, but I would like to talk to you about it. (laughs) (laughs) So are you ready to talk about it with me? Yeah, fine. Good. (laughs) Good. Cyprian finally admitted to me that he and Christiana were a couple. Christiana didn't want to do a follow-up interview, but she also eventually came clean about the romance. And apparently, that romance started almost as soon as they went into the dome. I think it was about three weeks into the mission. How did you get together? Well, I mean, we were locked in a dome together, and uh, <laughs> like, what do you expect? Do you expect me to tell you all the romantic details and things like that? And Hell yes! Tell you about <laughs> looks and sensations and this kind of. Well, I think it happened somewhat naturally. We just, you know, we're getting along and we got closer, and and it happened. Did you talk about it? Well, actually, someone else brought it up. Like, I don't know, we're at dinner and like Shay had noticed that we were closer and she was like, oh, congrats to the new couple. And Oh my gosh. I was like, well, that's, well, that's a direct way of saying it. But uh, I think everybody knew at that point. So How did they know? I don't know. Maybe we looked at each other in a different way. I don't know. I mean, when you see someone coming out of somebody else's room at six in the morning, you kind of figure it out. After finally getting confirmation from Cyprian, I wanted to know what having a couple in the dome was like for the rest of the crew. So I talked to Carmel, and she told me about accidentally catching Cyprian on his very, very short walk of shame. At first it was like a deer in the headlights look like guy comes out of girl's room in the morning. He's like, what? Like, oh, like, maybe, do they know? Did they know? I'm like, we already knew. Like, we knew before you even even knew that this was going to be going on. Like, it's a very small world. We can hear everything that happens in the dome anyways. Once their secret was out, the relationship became part of everyday life in the Dome. There were no make-out sessions in front of the rest of the crew, no grand romantic gestures. But there were little sweet things. He would do really nice things for her sometimes, and she'd do nice things for him. Like, take special care to make a food that he knew that she'd like. Sometimes when Christiana was working at her desk, Cyprian would appear with a stack of homemade crepes. She would, like, set down the one crepe and then put on the applesauce and then dot on each individual chocolate chip and then wrap it up and then slice it and then eat it. (laughs) She did the same thing every single time, and it was so funny. They moved their two mattresses into one room, 
a room so small that the mattresses covered the whole floor and crept up the walls. But somehow, in this tiny space, they managed to make it work. I don't think I was ever worried about them. I always felt like they were pretty rock solid. And so we said that this is your relationship. You guys are going to manage it. It's not my place to tell you things other than unless it's getting in the way of the mission. And they were, like, more adult and mature than, like, half the people I know that are in relationships and have kids nowadays. So they're, they're phenomenal. Historically, NASA has not been very enthusiastic about sending couples to space together. But when I look at the High Seas crew, I wonder if they might want to revise that position. Because in their audio diaries, Cyprian and Christiana just sounded, like, 10% happier than the rest of the crew. And I do wonder if that's because they had each other. Yeah, and some, sometimes when you, you know, you're tired and you had a long day, it's nice to have someone to, you know, to relax with and chat. And, you know, it's always easier to go through difficult times when you have someone with you. And then what happened afterwards? Well, we stayed together for a while, but then we, well, then we moved to different cities and, you know, moved in different directions. We're still in touch, but... We've not seen each other for a while. There was one other person that I really wanted to talk to about what went down in the dome. I'm in St. Louis driving towards Shay's house. It's early morning. The streets are quiet. You can tell the neighborhood is still asleep. Everyone except Shay. Hey, good morning. Good morning. She's in her front yard with a spade, planting yeah. flowers. What are you planting? Uh, it's, this is um, Amanda Velli, also known as a Brazilian Shay shows me her garden, full of tomatoes and watermelons. Yeah. Hey, babe, Lynn's here. Hi. I say hello to Ben and meet the two cats, who seem to like their self-cleaning litter box. And while we talk, I work up the courage to ask what I really want to ask. Because while Shay was in the dome, I listened to people complain about her a lot. To me, it was obvious that she was the focus of this intense anger and frustration. But was it obvious to her? How much of what I know does Shay know? I'm going to just tell you what I heard in the recordings, which was that um, it sounded like, it sounded to me like a lot of people did not like you. Okay. Did you feel that? I didn't worry about it. Okay. I just considered myself to be at work. Um, in a professional capacity. And I think it, it might have been off-putting to some people to be with somebody there who's like, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm not here to, to... Make friends? I was willing to do whatever I could do reasonably to be somebody's friend. But the fact of the matter is that's not what I was there to accomplish. I was there as a professional to do a job. Shay and I go back and forth for a while, her insisting that she was fine, and me asking, really? I guess, so, I honestly, I was, like, a little bit worried about you, that you were in there kind of on your own, and that the rest of the people in the crew had chosen you as the enemy. You know, I think in a way, and this is going to sound strange, I'd rather have them hate on me than ha- be fighting a lot amongst themselves or be battling ground. Historically, in space missions, people do pick an enemy, and it's usually ground. When Shay says ground, she means ground control. And this is true. There is a long history of astronauts getting pissed off at ground control. 
When things get tough for people in space, the people on the ground can become kind of a communal punching bag. And so Shay tells me she was happy to be the person in this crew who kept something like that from happening. I would rather have me be the enemy than have the crew fall apart or really be fighting ground the way that they were a lot in the beginning of the mission. That's amazing. Nobody would feel that way. Nobody says, oh, I'm so glad that everybody hates me because it gave them a feeling of coherence and purpose. I mean, it works. They, they got through it. If that's what they needed to emotionally deal with the situation, and if that was my service to be the scapegoat, that's okay. Wow. I, I'll let on you hate me if that's the thing that's going to hold you together through this. That's okay. It doesn't cost me anything. If, that, if, that, if that's what happened, if that's what worked, that's okay with me. It's hard for me to totally buy this, that Shay was fine with people hating her as long as it helped the mission. If I were in her position, I would emphatically not be fine with it. But the idea that having a common enemy can be helpful, that it can bring people together and give them a sense of purpose, that is kind of a cool theory. I mean, our whole space program got started because we had a common enemy who gave us a sense of purpose. It was the Soviet Union. They put their first cosmonaut into orbit to beat us, and we put our first astronaut on the moon to beat them. We pushed ourselves harder and harder, moved faster and faster, not just because we loved science, but because we had a very, very strong desire to be better than the next dude. And it's possible people worked harder in the dome, did better, came together, because they had a common enemy to push against. Thankfully, I'm not in charge of proving or disproving this theory. Proving and disproving theories is a job for the actual scientists, the people running this whole experiment. After the mission, I visit Kim Binstead, the principal investigator, in her apartment. My apologies. Cosmo. Cosmo, dude, give it a rest. An apartment that contains Kim a very excited dog named Cosmo, and 12 months of data from the High Seas experiment. Wait, do you have years? Can I see the samples? Sure. <laughs> uh. So in your, um, in your freezer, you have a Tombstone original pizza. <laughs> I do, yes. Um, a, a bottle of uh, tonic water. That's actually just water water. It's in there as a buffer in case the power goes out. Okay, and, yeah. then, on, and then next to that, what am I looking at? You're looking at a year's worth of saliva samples. <laughs> The high seas researchers also have a year's worth of hair samples, a year's worth of urine samples, a year's worth of monthly surveys and weekly surveys and daily surveys to sift through. The accumulated data from their six human guinea pigs. We've got so much data. We're going to be mining this for, for a long time. The data could show a lot of different things. It could show that these six people were an especially bad match, that they just did not fit together. Or it could show that this kind of conflict is inevitable, no matter which six people you choose. It could help NASA develop new strategies to deal with conflict. Or it could show that conflict doesn't really matter, that people can get the job done even when they want to tear each other apart. When it comes right down to it, NASA's not interested in cohesion for cohesion's sake. Yeah. They're interested in performance. Huh. Um, so uh, if a crew has cohesion issues, but they're still able to perform at a high level, that's a result. So if they're miserable and they hate each other, but they're doing a good job on their projects, is that okay? It's okay in the sense that they will survive a mission to Mars, and that's, that's the, the point. 
But before the data tells us anything, it has to get out of Kim's freezer and into the lab, where it'll be processed, analyzed, written up, and handed off to NASA. And even then, it's just one experiment. And science is all about repetition, doing the experiment again and again and again, getting more human guinea pigs to generate more data to lead to stronger conclusions. All right, let's go. And so, a few months after Anjay, Christiana, Cyprian, Carmel, Shay, and Tristan leave the dome, another crew arrives in Hawaii to take their place. On their last morning on Earth, this new crew stands in front of the dome and poses for pictures, smiling big smiles, wearing their matching high-seas polo shirts, about to walk into the habitat and shut the door behind them. I remember Tristan, right before he went into this dome, telling me that he expected to come out with five new best friends. And he was really, really wrong. But now, at the very last minute before this new crew goes in, one of them says almost exactly the same thing. I'm looking forward to building relationships with my crew. Uh, I fully anticipate coming out with five new best friends. It's this kind of blind optimism that makes people do crazy things, like sign up for this experiment. But it's also this kind of blind optimism that makes people do crazy things like go into orbit and to the moon and someday to Mars. It's these people, these weird, brave, wonderful people who look at an impossible challenge and think, I'll probably be fine. Could be fun. Let's do it. Bye, guys. <laughs> I'll see you soon. <laughs> Love you guys. See you. Good is a production of Gimlet Media. It's produced by Peter Bresnan, Megan Tan, and me. I'm Lynn Levy. Our editors are Alex Bloomberg, Jorge Just, Caitlin Kenny, and Blythe Terrell. Additional reporting in this episode by Eric Eddings. Sound design and mixing by Haley Shaw, with help from Bobby Lord. Music supervision by Matthew Boll. Our credits music in this episode is performed by The Weather Station and written by David Bowie. Our fact checker is Michelle Harris. Thanks to the University of Hawaii at Manoa. Thanks to Tristan's family, Carmel's family, and my family. Thanks to Dave Reuter. 
and a very special thanks to the High Seas crew. Anjay, Christiana, Cyprian, Carmel, Shay, and Tristan. And one last thing. There was some great music in this series made by some great musicians. We want to share it with you. And so we made a soundtrack. It features some original compositions by the amazing Haley Shaw, plus seven killer covers of Space Oddity. You can listen on SoundCloud or Bandcamp. We'll put a link in our show description on iTunes and on our website. And if you like the show, spread the word on Twitter and Facebook using hashtag TheHabitat. <laughs>